I know that this particle is often referred to as the God particle, but I think it is better described as the DNA of physics. Without the Higgs, nothing makes sense. Welcome to Physicists in the Wild. My name is Aggie Branchig. In this series, we chat with physicists who pursued careers outside of academia. In this episode, we chat with Ricardo Discipio, who did his PhD in experimental particle physics and is now a senior machine learning developer at Dayforce. My interest in science started from childhood. I was really into sci-fi, especially Star Trek. That TV show gave me an idea of what the, the world and humanity might look like in a future that was a positive one. I really developed an interest in physics and science, but also technology. This basically shaped the path of my career. I enrolled in a general physics undergrad course at the University of Bologna in Italy. Then basically my career took a first turn when I had a chance to uh, be a summer student in a laboratory in the US that is called Fermilab. And I think that really um, prompted my will to delve more into experimental particle physics. Most of the people who uh, you know, joined the particle physics experiment love a lot computers, a lot sci-fi and technology, but also love to hang out together, um, go to conferences, giving presentations, and definitely like to reach out to other people to start new collaborations. So this sociable aspect of science, I think really resonated with me. And so for my master thesis and then my PhD, I joined the Atlas experiment at CERN. Uh, I really had a great time. It's hard. PhD is hard. Uh, that is for sure. But it was also very exciting that I could travel, I could learn a lot, get new skills, new connections. The really hard part starts after you get a PhD. Were you, at the time of your PhD, planning to continue a career in academia? I explored a few possibilities. I decided to keep going because I was really interested in seeing what would have happened to my research. I made the groundwork for uh, measurements of top quark physics and an extension of the um, so-called standard model that is called supersymmetry. The experiment was basically starting to take real data as I was defending my PhD thesis. So I said, well, you know what, maybe I can look for a job later. I, re I really want to see what happens now. And I think it was a good call. Because two years later, uh, CERN announced the, uh, the discovery of the Higgs boson, that is basically the last fundamental particle that has been discovered. I would say the only of my generation. This is the one that defined my career as a scientist. I would say I was just a cog in the wheel, probably, in an experiment of 10,000 people. Um, you can't really claim that you have discovered the Higgs boson. But my name is there on the publication. Uh, I did my data taking shifts. I did my lab tests. I did my software development. I did my data analysis to reject false positives. I gave a contribution, not big, but I was there. I think I deserved it. That, that was great. I know that this particle is often referred to as the God particle, mostly for historical and um, editorial reasons. But I think uh, it is better described as the DNA of physics. It basically has the same role that DNA has in life science. Without the Higgs, nothing makes sense, in particle physics at least. Uh, so it was a momentous discovery. But it was also disappointing at the same time. There is no supersymmetry, no gravitons, 
no black holes, um, no extra dimensions, no nothing. Oh, if there was supersymmetry, there would have been a gazillion new particles to study. Everybody would have their own particle. But nature doesn't work that way. So there was a lot of disappointment, even if people don't want to say that out loud. But I think that happened. And uh, at some point, I and many other people just said, mm, I have a, a huge skill set of computer programming, data analysis, planning and management. I can travel for work. I can find another job outside academia. Why not? How did you get your first job after academia? Back then, I had a temporary contract that was coming to an end. I tried to apply for a few academic positions. I didn't make it. It is really hard to get an academic job. I had to consider whether I wanted to relocate. I have a wife, two kids. We already, you know, moved from Italy to Canada. So at the end, I just said, you know what? I give up my academic career. Uh, I had a great time, but there are so many other challenges out there. Let's look for a job in industry. I also happen to live in Toronto, the city where, you know, there are so many startups working, especially in artificial intelligence, um, even quantum computing. So I had interests in both. I applied for a few jobs. Not all the interviews were great. Some were better than others. But at the end, it was mostly about networking. We had some friends of a friend, had a startup. They were looking for uh, developers who also had experience with data science and machine learning, advanced math. I had the right skill set. I did the interview and they hired me. And eventually uh, the startup was acquired by a larger one. Uh, the company I work for now is called Dayforce. Can you tell us about how your day-to-day -day is at Dayforce? So first of all, I mostly work from home. It was not like that before COVID. COVID changed almost everything. Dayforce is a company that basically gave us some interesting benefits, unlimited vacations, and the ability to work from anywhere, which doesn't mean that you don't do anything. Um, you just have to plan ahead your vacations or time off. You have more flexibility, but you still have to work on the goals that you, you have. So my day-to-day -day life is... Um, I usually take the kids to school and then come back and check the emails, check the new messages on Slack and stuff. And then I start coding. We have a daily stand-up meeting where everybody says, I've been working on this. Uh, I'll be working on that. I had this roadblock. Can anybody help me to solve this problem so I can go ahead? Uh, then we have planning meetings, maybe twice a week. Every other week we have like, company-wide or uh, team-wide meetings, depending on uh, what's going on. But it's mostly, I would say, coding, reviewing other people's code, and planning. Occasionally, there are some online courses or um, personal and professional development time, so you can learn new skills. Oh, I'm really curious about ChatGPT and you know, what are the applications and things like this. They know that I have this unusual background, so... I probably have a little bit more freedom than other colleagues. Um, I still work from time to time on uh, some research papers that are quite out there and uh, outside the scope of what I usually do at the company. But I try to m come up with some motivation about why I can still be relevant for my day-to-day -day job. From time to time, I am called up to the office. Before it was different. If you went to the office, people were there. Now it's like, hey... Do you want to meet up at the office so we can do some whiteboarding or, you know, have lunch together, hang out? 
So like the whole team gathers in the office, but otherwise can go there to be more focused or um, I don't know, you just want to go for whatever reason. Was there anything that was particularly surprising when you joined the industry? I think I was surprised to see how similar it was to the environment of the Large Hadron Collider. But let me stress that I was part of a, a very large collaboration of about 10,000 people, even though the experience that I was part of was probably 3,500 people. But the Large Hadron Collider is it's basically the same size, more or less of a mid-sized company. It's spread worldwide. There are managers, even if they're usually referred to as conveners and are elected, managers are hired, but it's not that different. You have to do planning, you have to do meeting, you have to do approvals of the projects you're working on. You meet stakeholders when you give presentations. It's not that different after all. People are really open to new things and they love to work together. Absolutely sociable people. I never had an, an issue with a manager or anything. It was kind of surprising. I expected, um, I don't know, a more nine to five maybe environment. People are definitely much more relaxed. It doesn't mean that you disappear for a couple of days, but it's very similar to science. You don't have to really clock in and clock out. It's more like, let's get this job done. The point I want to stress is that I know people who worked in science in small experiments, that some people move from small science experiments to startups, and they are absolutely happy with that. And they move from one startup to the other. Other people, you know, just move from the Large Hadron Collider to Google, IBM, and they're absolutely happy with that. Some people just thrive in a smaller environment. Whatever you do really affects the outcome. You have fewer resources, maybe you have more limited scope, but you know everybody and you can affect the uh, the future of the company or experiment. Other people, and I believe I am one of those, instead thrive more in a larger environment. I'm okay with having more red tape, but also more resources. I have to say that the, the biggest difference that I have found is what I usually called, I think it's called the Pareto Law, it was an economist. And it basically says that you can get 80% of the result in 20% of the time. When I was in science, I have seen way too often situations where the result was solid. It was basically there, but people wanted to push it to 98%. And that took even years in some cases. My experience is that in industry, things move faster and you tend to release your products more often, probably because you have competitors. It is important to have reliable, good products. That, that is absolutely necessary. But I think that compared to science, that that 80% is good enough. It's good to go. Is there any advice that you would give to current PhD students? For job, what I do is literally to develop AI applications to parse resumes and job descriptions. It really works in certain cases, especially to filter out few good applications out of hundreds. But if you have a connection, if you know someone, you can explain better what your skills are, what your goals are, what you want to learn, what you want to do. I would say it's always a good idea to have a good old chat with that person. I think the best advice that I can give is to learn <clears throat> as much as possible about artificial intelligence and machine learning. I know as a fact that especially older generation of scientists are kind of wary about machine learning because I was told many times, but you don't really understand what's going on. And I would actually say, well, maybe you 
don't really understand what's going on. There are ways to understand why certain decisions are taken by the systems or not. So I understand that some people can be reluctant. But I think it's really important for a modern day science to be really up to date with the more, you know, cutting edge technologies. And this is important for, uh, you know, scientific purposes. But at the end of the day, if you cannot find a job in science, then you can look for a job in industry and uh, your skill set translates very, very well. Over the years, I've also developed uh, an interest in uh, quantum computing. So this is another technology that is still, you know, in its development phase. This is a disruptive technology. When it will be more in a mature spot, it will affect certain things in a way that uh, you will never look back, especially in uh, things like drug discovery or optimization. This is a field that uh, some people may dislike. I understand why, but I think it's worth spending some time learning about at least the basics. There are startups and also some bigger companies. Uh, as a former scientist, as a former physicist, I would say look into this because I think this is probably five, 10 years in the future. But if you're a PhD student, you know, this might be in a sweet spot for you. So spend some time to learn about it. I think it's really worth it. Learn as much as possible. Learn the new trends. Learn the cutting edge technology. You're probably going to enjoy it anyway. And it can help you to find a job. Thank you so much, Ricardo. This was a wonderful interview. And I think you've given uh, the listeners a lot of great insights. Thanks to you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. Yeah.